0: everyone i'm betsy
1: and i'm greg and we want to invite you to check out our podcast going on 30 each month betsy and i take a look back at a movie that was released 30 years ago that was either nominated or should have been nominated for best picture
0: we talk about the legacy of the film choose the best scenes and performances and explore our own hot takes about the movie
1: And we discussed the greatness of Tom Cruise, an actor who has graced our screens for multiple decades taking on some of the most artistically challenging pursuits while displaying what can only be described as an everyman relatability. An actor, nay, a thespian who pushes the boundaries of what the medium is capable of while revealing the humanity that's underlying... right, I'm
0: done. I cannot cannot tolerate this anymore. So listen to Going on 30 every month right here on The popping color speed, wherever you get
1: your podcasts. I love you, Tom. Oh, jeez. Hi, I'm Greg Knight, Ryan Parker. And this is PCTV, a popping collar side piece, side hustle, side. (laughs) Side? It's, It's the mac
0: and cheese to your fried chicken.
1: That's right. It's the best side of all time. Uh, where we randomly select a current TV show that you should be streaming right now. Ryan and I have each picked six shows from top streaming apps, including Netflix, Hulu, Disney+, Plus, Max, Prime Video, Apple TV. And this month, we are talking about the Max series, The White Lotus. The goal is to disappear
0: behind our masks as pleasant, interchangeable helpers. It's tropical kabuki. Aloha. A happy to be here. We're on our honeymoon. You're such valued guests. Welcome to the White Lotus. <laughs> Not yet. Surprise! Mom! Am I interrupting? I know it's only your honeymoon. Oh my God, look at her face.
1: Rachel, you were such a beautiful
0: bride, but also very pale. But now you have a little more color and it looks great. Thanks. You are so talented.
1: You really know what you're doing. Really? You think you could have dinner with me at the hotel tonight? Um, I, I get off at 7? Yeah, that's good. I mean, like a couple minutes after 7 at the, at the restaurant. Sounds great.
0: Being a young man, this time right now can't be easy. Why? Because we can't harass girls anymore?
1: No. Well... I'm an
0: asshole.
1: Were you an asshole?
0: I guess I'm just wondering what um, you might be able to do for us to make us feel better. No, I was actually trying to
1: not be an asshole. You failed?
0: Where were you? I just walked around.
1: Please enjoy. Belinda is the best. I'll make an appointment. If she's not booked with me.
0: Sometimes just watching them eat every night makes me want like to gouge my eyes out.
1: Belinda! Belinda!
0: What I want is to speak to your boss.
1: I don't think it's the most romantic hotel in Hawaii. Do you? It's perfectly fine, but are you finding it very romantic? Okay. It's nice. Ryan, I have a brief description of the White Lotus. Very brief description. (laughs) Would you like to? As always, read it because I'm I'm
0: going to tell you. No matter what it is, is not capture what this show is or is
1: about. (laughs) No, (laughs) there's no way. way. Yes, yeah. Uh, The exploits of various guests and employees of a tropical resort over the span of a week. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever, whatever, fine. That is the skeleton. That's that's not even the skeleton. That's like that's like the the I guess the germ of this show. That's funny. Why did you pick the White Lotus as your uh, HBO Max show?
0: Well, because everybody was talking about it. Yeah, everybody was watching it. Mm -hmm. But also, I mean, it was you know we we joked before we started recording that like I was thinking I would focus on. You know, exclusively on season two, excuse me, and that you, you know, and you were like, well, let's talk about both. But they tread similar territory.
1: Is it the most American TV show right now? Kind of feels like it, right? Like, um, you know, the way that we sort of uh, expect the world to conform to us at all moments. Yeah, kind of feels like it a little bit. So it should be said that the White Lotus, so I read that brief description, but just to unpack it a little bit. So this is a show that was developed by Mike White, who's a writer you probably know from like School of Rock. And oh, gosh, he did. Uh, oh, what's that HBO show that he did about um, in treatment? Was that what it was? Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. So just a really thoughtful guy, really funny guy. And if you're a reality TV show fan, you know that you've seen him on like Survivor and The Amazing Race and stuff like that. Yeah, but, but um, but it seems like he he had this idea for this show in quarantine where he just kind of wanted to think about like how awful Americans are <laughs> in the rest of the world, and so he created this scenario where he just put a lot of ugly Americans in like you know one of the most amazing resorts in. Hawaii in the first season and in Italy in the second season.
0: His relationship with his father has something to do with that work. A lot of people know this. Maybe not everybody listening to your show knows this, but his father was Mel White, who was a rather infamous or famous, depending on your side of the aisle. Um, American evangelical politician. Yeah. Th- through the sixties and eighties, kind of with the rise of the right. So I, I wonder if you know, I don't know what research you've done on the show, like, but how much, like, kind of carrying that, like, idea of this is what an American looks like. Yeah. On the global stage, like, I don't know him. I don't, but he they may have a perfectly great relationship, but, like, what, you couldn't have a better parent <laughs> in that situation to be, like, flexing yourself on the world stage as, like, American evangelicals have tried to do. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah for the
0: last you know 40 or 50 years so like wrestling with some of that stuff as a kid you know as or as not as a kid but as a son of a infamous or famous person is like there may be some of that at work here i don't know
1: yeah and i think that it should be said i think mel white has given up on he, he, you know he's reformed from all of that stuff um that he was involved yeah, in but you but you carry some of that though right like as yeah a, yeah, I would say that that's right. And, and you know, and the beauty of this show is that, yeah, it's about ugly Americans in a tacky, you know, resort living off of the uh, service of the culture where they're, you know, where they're staying and stuff like that. But at the same time, like he uses that as a vehicle to explore like real you know, family relationships and real family dynamics. And, you know, how do these things play out? What does it mean if you don't love your wife anymore? What does it mean if you have no ability to connect to your father, your grandfather? Like all of these things are part of this show. And I think that what brings people back and why it was a phenomenon is that, you know, there's a lot of this that's really uncomfortable, but it's really uncomfortable because it's kind of close to who we are and what our relationships are, you know?
0: Yeah, when you ask, like, why I picked it, I mean, I joke, I, you know,
1: jokingly, I would say, because everybody watched it
0: and, you know, hopefully people would want to listen into to what you know, maybe you and I have to say about it. But I, I think the first season, obviously captivating. I, I was instantly attracted to the, or drawn to the staff of the hotel. And the goal is to create for the guests an overall impression of vagueness that can be very satisfying where they get everything they want, but they don't even know what they want, or what day it is, or where they are, or who we are, or what the f- is going on. <laughs> it looks like you get got a dollop of mayonnaise on your top, Lonnie. What is what is that? Oh, I,
1: I, I don't
0: know. Oh, God, here they come. Just hold the tray up high and cover it, stand on your boot. Just a little higher. That's it. Mr. and Mrs. Moss Barker. Hello, I'm Amon, the resort manager. Welcome to the White Lotus. Thank you. How was your journey here? That kept me coming back episode after episode, even though, you know, of course, Jennifer Coolidge is great. Season two carries a little bit of that, although I don't think that that part of the show is as strong. But one of the things that I thought was, and I don't know if I'm jumping ahead too much to talk about, like, favorite line of dialogue, but there's one line of dialogue in the whole season two that really struck me. I could say for me, it was why I picked the show, Um, which is why I asked if it was the most American series kind of running right now. And that may not even be true. It may be like the most timely series, no matter where you are, based on this one line of dialogue. And again, it it could be a case where I'm making a a mountain out of a molehill, but I'll die on that molehill. But uh, yeah, I just thought season two... Carried on a lot of what I liked about season one. Yeah. And um, I think in some ways was an improvement, some ways a regression. I thought some of the f- uh, family dynamics in season two were stronger than season one. Mm-hmm. I thought some of the kind of the cultural, economic or business kind of side side of thing, the service industry side was a little bit weaker maybe in season mm-hmm. Two, than season one, even though you had the whole sex worker element in season two, which added another layer.
1: Yeah. Yeah, totally. Uh, So I would just say this as far as like we'll do a little bit more table setting and then I'll I'll pitch it over to you for the for the quote thing. But um, the last thing that I would say is this is that. There's an element to this show, and I think another reason why it's really popular is that it it plays off of something that's really big right now in television discourse, which is sort of Reddit threads, you know, trying to s- sort of solve the puzzle box a little bit. The beauty of this show is that both seasons have started with a dead body, and you don't know who the person is, and you don't know how they got there and you don't know why. Right. And in the case of season two, it's, you know, the first scene sets up multiple dead bodies. And I think that there, there is a way of watching this show where you're sort of concerned about that. Right. Like how did we get there? Who is it? What are the breadcrumbs that we can trace to try to solve this mystery? But I think probably the, the really amazing part of this show and the thing that I appreciate the most Is that the way Mike White has constructed the show is that the murder mystery aspect or just the, you know, the the body mystery aspect isn't even a mystery for me when I'm watching the shows. Most of the time I forget that it even started off with somebody dead at the beginning. It's a way to to sort of shockingly make you sit up and pay attention so that then you'll sort of start to invest in the lives of these characters. Right. It's a really good storytelling device. Um, I want
0: to come. I want to come back to that, and what I think would probably be fitting for the theology corner. Yeah. Um, But I like this because I was talking to my wife over dinner before we recorded. We're recording on Valentine's, by the way. Love is (laughs) there. What better way to say "I love you" to your wife than, "Honey, I got to go record a podcast about white lotus." But, you know, I asked her, I said, what do you think it's about? Because we watched it together and she loved the series. And she said, well, it's about lies. Yeah. And especially in season two. But I also would add a little bit to what you're saying now is the inability to know the truth. Right. Like the inability to
1: know a situation in its fullness. Yeah. And the point really isn't to try to solve it. I mean, I think that's, that's the, that's the thing that I, that's the conceit of the show that I really appreciate is like, it's not about trying to put the pieces together. It's about like, you know, I'm going to show you the end. Now let me show you how we got there, you know? And that's, that's a, that's a really cool way to start it up.
0: Well, Glass Onion's doing a little bit of that, the Netflix film. Mm Mm-hmm. Daniel Craig, the the Knives Out, Glass Onion. But I, I love what you're saying here because I think that's exactly what the show is doing. You can know what happened, but how would you begin to describe to somebody what really happened?
1: Right, right.
0: Like in terms of the way that certainly Western audiences like to think of things of like uh, victim and violator and fault and blame and all these things. Like it's just so complex. And you can say that without giving anything away about what actually happens Mm -hmm. in the series itself. But I
1: would challenge anybody to say, like, okay, well, this is uh, the A to Z telling of that story. Right. And if it's A to Z, like, how interesting is that? Right. Like, where, where, where is the, these days, not at all. Right. Where is the first episode going to hook you if it's just people arriving at a resort on a boat? Well, right. you get CSI,
0: right? That's the yeah.
1: procedural kind of thing that this is not. Right. Real quick, my one hot take about this show, because this this show came about because HBO went to Mike White and said, hey, do you have a show? And Because they had basically no content coming out of 2020, right? Quarantine had shut down production for shows. They burned and- through all their content. Yeah. And it was basically like impossible to like, you know, uh, get stuff made during the height of COVID. And so they're like, what's a what's a show that we can do where everybody's in one location and blah, blah, blah. And Mike White was like, well, it turns out I've been thinking about a show that's like this. You know, it's just set at a hotel. So you don't have to worry about like a bunch of people around and stuff and you could just film it there. And so I kind of there's a part of me that really thinks that this is just a scam that Mike White's running so that he can go on vacation to Hawaii <laughs> and Italy and maybe in a subsequent season in Southeast Asia. By the way, we'll get
0: to yeah. that later. But no, that's hilarious because <laughs> we I, we've joked internally, friends and stuff that work kind of in film is like
1: where how can we get to where we want to go right geographically right Yeah, that's good. <laughs> I mean, hey, it's straight up, though. I mean, come on. Stuff that you film on location looks so much better. Than... Also,
0: if you can write something half this good. Yeah. You can go anywhere
1: you want to go. Absolutely. Absolutely. It happens to be great. <laughs> It just happens to be the most beautiful locations in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, all right. So uh best scene, sequence, episode, or storyline is our next category. And I'll also tack on best uh best quote or whatever, best line, whatever it is that you were leading into.
0: Well, I want to talk about two things all right. separately because my favorite like guilty pleasure scene moment. In the series is when Albie asks his father for money to basically liberate the prostitute. Right. Michael Imperioli's restraint in that moment, he cracks for a second, which I think is performance, but it's also just feels like he may have meant to play it straight, but he kind of broke. It felt like the most natural exchange and scene in the entire series. That was my favorite Mm -hmm. moment. Like who is this idiot kid? Think he is right. Does he not like he's there with his dad, who is a womanizer of the first order. Mm-hmm. He's clearly trying to get his act together and he's asking his dad for money to essentially buy this woman's freedom. And his dad's just like, no, we're not doing it. That Perfect. to me, that exchange was actors, storyline, like perfect. I felt like it was I felt like these were the guys I, I was watching. Like they were the the body language, his reaction. I just loved it. I've and yeah. I've talked about it constantly with friends, but I loved it. That's not the line of dialogue that I want to talk about. So I don't know. Do you have a favorite scene? Because I feel like our dialogues gonna the line of dialogue I have is just gonna lead us into <laughs> theology corner. So I want to know if there's something that you loved about the show that was kind of a standalone thing. Like there's not a lot you could do with that scene I just talked about.
1: No, I would
0: it felt really good and natural and funny.
1: No, but I would I would build off of that. I'm glad that you mentioned like the actor comes into play there because you're so right. I mean, when you see Ma- Michael Imperioli, what you think of is Christopher Moltisanti, <laughs> right? Because like that's who yes. that's who you've associated with this guy for so long and my favorite scene from both seasons of white lotus uh, comes from the second season when it's uh F Murray Abraham and Michael Imperioli and um oh gosh and then the kid from uh what oh, Adam DeMarco yeah Adam DeMarco yeah Albie uh, so they play basically three generations of sicilians right so like a grandfather father and a, the de grasso boys right And uh, and there's this one uh, there's this one part where they travel to the house where they filmed the uh, Godfather scene where uh, Apollonia, you know, blows up in the car and stuff. And uh, it, it just it gets to what you're talking about, which is like the layers of sort of Italian, you know, pop culture that we have. So like this idea of Godfather, Sopranos, and it's like kind of all coming together there with. You know, this famous actor from The Sopranos in this famous spot from The Godfather. You know, it's like this big sort of layer on top of layer kind of thing. But then it's it's this private home where they serve like this luxury lunch to these tourists that come there and they're playing off of the nostalgia that people have for this movie, right? Like, Like that's what they're making money off of in this location. And it's just, it's such a cynical kind of look at like how people are exploited for these things that they love that they think have kind of like high artistic value but when you get there, it's just another tourist trap that you, <laughs> you know that you've fallen into. This is where Michael Corleone was hiding out.
0: Another mafia family was trying to kill him, and his wife blew up over there.
1: The car was rigged with a bomb, meant for Michael. Pacino realized, He screams,
0: "No! No, oh, Apollonia!"
1: It's too late. Power explodes, she blows up.
0: It's a great scene. She blows up? Uh-huh. It's old. Tasteless, maybe? Oh, they're just trying to make a buck. They own a house where they shot the best American movie ever made. No, it's not. Why not? I think so. Well, yeah, I mean, you would. All right, what's that supposed to mean? It's because you're
1: nostalgic for the solid days of the patriarchy. I just love it. It's just like, it's got all these sort of layers of like generations of Sicilians, which you think is admirable, all doing sort of, again, ugly American touristy things. And it's, um yeah, it's just a, it's a fascinating look at yeah, kind kind of, of how I, all those things work together. I kind of love that
0: conflation of family pilgrimage with, American assholery, right? Part, pardon okay. my language, but I love that. Like it's so hard to dis- distinguish between the two sometimes.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, if you think about the White Lotus for both seasons, like you know, it the way that an episode is constructed is that it starts in the morning and it ends at night, right? And so you basically see an entire day uh, at the resort on this vacation. And so frequently every meal that all of the characters have is breakfast at the resort and dinner at the resort. They're in these amazing places in these, you know, in these amazing locations with amazing culture and amazing cuisine all around them. And all they do is eat at the restaurant, you know, <laughs> you know, eat at the hotel restaurant every night. And complain. Yeah. <laughs> It's just, it's so beautiful in yeah. how simple it is and how much it says
0: at the same time. Okay, best performance. I was looking specifically at season two for my best performance because I watched it most recently. And I mean, it's hard to ignore Jennifer Coolidge because I think there's a spiritual depth to her character that I want to come back to. Hey, let's see, let's see. Hey, hey,
1: do you speak English? No. No, right, i Okay. Do you know these gays? Do you know these gays? Okay. I know it sounds crazy, but my husband, he knows Quentin. So he brought me to Sicily and then he left so he could have an alibi. And then these gays, they take me off to Palermo and then they set me up with this guy who's in the mafia and he's coming here, I think... To try to throw me off the boat, they're going to do Greg's dirty work for him because he's going to pay them with my money so they can decorate their houses or some. <laughs> I may be paranoid, but I need you to drive me in the boat. Drive the boat to the shore, please. These gays—they're trying to murder me. Mika Bishay. See me. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Anch'io sono gay. E
0: uh, qua? Uh,
1: wow. Siamo tutti gay. You're gay? Sì. Si. Tutti quanti siamo gay. Tutti.
0: Oh my god. Also gonna go for. Well, who I who I think is a sneaky good actress is Haley Lou Richardson. Yeah. I wanna I wanna name uh Columbus, the film. If people who are listening to this have not seen it, you need to press pause on this episode
1: mm-hmm. and go
0: watch that film. Because I feel like it may be one of the better things she ever does in her career. And she's done some cool stuff and she'll continue to do some good stuff, but man, she's really, really good in that. And she I think she's very good in this. Yeah. And she's kind of a sneaky actress. Like she's not she's not superstar. I don't mm-hmm. know if she fits that bill. She she feels a little bit to me like a... oh, I'm drawing a blank. She was in the a new film called The Wonder uh Little Women. Uh oh Florence Pugh. Yeah. Sorry. Yay, Thank yay. you. Yay. Yeah. Feels a little bit like Florence Pugh.
1: Yeah, Haley Lou Richardson, she uh she has a look too that stands out. I remember seeing her she showed up in a movie that I watched last year called After Yang, which was oh yeah, dude. Yeah. With Colin Farrell. Yeah. And as soon as she showed up on screen, it's like, oh my gosh. It's it's like it's it's you can't miss her, you know? It's like, oh yeah, there she is.
0: Well, um, and her character,
1: so, maybe, maybe we come back to this because I was thinking about
0: ground the groundedness of characters in this series. And again, a not to be dead horse, I'm thinking about se- season two, but I think some of it carries over to season one where she is certainly adrift. Yeah. And counter to her, I was trying to think of characters who were more anchored or grounded. So yeah, we can come back to that, but yeah, her, her performance is, is so good in this yeah. season.
1: I would say like for my best performance, um, it, it should be said, Murray Bartlett was amazing in the first season And I'm glad that his career has seen a resurgence, you know, with the with White Lotus, with The Last of Us, obviously going all the way back to looking and stuff like that. It's just a really good actor. I got to say my best performances. I have two and they're both one from the first season, one from the second season. It's Molly Shannon when she shows up in the first season and then Tom Hollander when he shows up in the second season. No. And the reason is because like they almost like these characters serve as almost like relief ending pitchers. Like it's Mike White kind of holds them out of the story until about the halfway point of the story. And then both of these actors come in, throw in like a hundred miles an hour and you're just like, Oh my God. But it, it like revitalizes everything that you've seen up to that point when they get inserted into the narrative. Certainly in the second season, because when he shows up, you're
0: like, what the hell is happening?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like, this is not going to be good. Right. Yeah, Right. And you're trying to figure it all out. And like the next thing you know, there's like cocaine and, you know, naked men, you know, f- flowing all over the place. And you're just like, what the hell is happening? And um, and the same but the same sort of energy from Molly Shannon with the mother in law character you know, just coming in and bringing chaos into the mix. And that's, I mean, that's the mark of good storytelling and good acting is like holding back right. the characters that you know are going to increase the tension and the drama and like letting them loose like the bulls on the streets of Pamplona when it's when it's time to go. <laughs> you know? That's a great point. I think uh, going back
0: to season one, another name I would like to throw out is Steve's on. Because mm-hmm. I just... Can he do wrong? I don't care if it's like a big blockbuster adventure movie and he's the comedic relief, or if this, you know, like season one of White Lotus, where is a profoundly emotional performance, like a uh, intimate and broken and
1: lost kind of character. He's very good. Oh my god, he's amazing. I think I, I think I went all in on Steve Zahn. Probably with, like, Out of Sight by Soderbergh. Maybe a little bit. I was talking to somebody about that movie the other day, and they had never seen it. (sighs) It's genius. Maybe one of the. I've seen in there. Yeah, it's maybe the best, (laughs) if not, like, second best Soderbergh. Yeah.
0: Mr. Mosbacher looking very handsome tonight. Oh, thank you. We have something special for you tonight. Our local staff will be performing some traditional Hawaiian entertainment, which will begin right now with the blowing of the
1: poo. Well,
0: wasn't that a treat? Enjoy.
1: Okay, we've made it to Theology Corner. Theology We're Corner, let's go. Um, um, where do you want to start? I've got sure. one. Do you want to I've kick it off? So yeah. I've I've actually already touched on mine, which is this idea. You know, the thing that I love um, that this show does really well, and I think it's actually what Mike White's kind of teasing at. Probably a little bit more in the first season than the second season. Is this idea of what does it mean when when sort of a, a, f- a foreign money comes into a place and corrupts like a culture or a people? right it's this idea of you know um especially the hawaii season there is a culture that exists there and it's being manipulated to please sort of these american tourists that are coming in trying to manipulate it to what it is that they want it to be the kind of uh exotic culture that they can live with but isn't too far removed from their american experience right i love this idea that we kind of inherit cultures, especially in the church, right? Like, in, in all religions, we inherit cultures that aren't ours, you know? I mean, you know, we get these texts from 2,000 years ago that describe a people that are nothing like us and have nothing similar to us other than the beliefs that they say that they profess. And who's to say that we even share the common beliefs that they had, you know? from this time to theirs. And so like, I love this idea of like, what do you do with like these amazing, beautiful things that come into your care? And how do you treat them with the honor and respect that they're due, and not turn them into some sort of tacky recreation that you can then make a buck off of you know well honestly it's it's like what we talked about when we were talking about the camino and that last hundred kilometers of the camino where it's like you know there's somebody willing to sell you you know the image of saint james on you know i don't know like um, a dog blanket or something you know it's like there's no shortage of stuff that they're willing to sell you in the name of religion that's kind of what's happening here. It's just with regards to like ancient art and culture and modern tourism.
0: I mean, that's got to be at the forefront
1: of of
0: his thinking. And I, you know, it made me think I'm reading right now that you say this. I'm reading Jesus and John Wayne yeah. by Christian Dumez who talks about like this kind of inheritance of white patriarchy in right. the evangelical church, which is undoing christianity in america and threatening to kind of tear apart the nation um but that is a very much inherited thing that you're talking about like the stories were given and how they're passed down and what we make of them and i think there's
1: there's a lot of
0: that here like in terms of it may be as related to like uh environment or you know it seems to me he's going deeper With each season, because from what I read, season three is going to be about death and kind of Eastern mysticism or Eastern religion. It seems like if that's the case, it's going more and more explicit to kind of this like inherited spirituality, religion, theology, what have you. Yeah. Where where what you're saying works is exactly right, but it's a little bit more... Experi- uh, experiential. I don't know the word I'm looking for, but it seems like he's he's doing this in layers.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, it it, it kind of comes down to the question of what does it mean when stuff doesn't mean anything anymore? I was thinking of the one scene where uh, in the second season where the uh, sex worker is trying to get a job, you know, singing. And one of the ways that she sees that she can do this is maybe by sleeping with the piano player. Mm-hmm. And so where do they go off to sneak out and have sort of their dalliance is in the chapel? Mm-hmm. That's that's you know, that's this resort is built on like an old monastery and there's like a chapel uh area, and it's like, okay, well, I guess we'll have sex in this chapel. Like it doesn't like n- none of this artwork or iconography or symbolism means anything, so it doesn't yeah. matter what happens in this space. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of the world that we inherit is like, what do these Renaissance paintings and these amazing sort of statues and mask work and stuff like that that exists in the resort mean if all it is is just decoration for a hotel room? You know, Well,
0: some of that comes down to even the opening credit, like the title sequence, of, mm-hmm. uh, the way in which these the way, the way in which that animation works. Right. But I think you're right. I think the one of the kind of closely related to that is uh Haley Lou Richardson's character, Portia. Again, this is you're kind of leading me a little bit to my favorite line of, of the whole second season. She asks, I think it's in the second or third episode, is everything just boring? Right. I think that's I think that is a profoundly spiritual question. And one that I don't know that any of us are ready to reckon with because of what it says about our existence. Like, it made me think of like 50 different things at the same time, not the least of which was a book called The Canticle for Leibowitz*. I don't know if you've read this book, but it's a sci-fi book that is post-apocalyptic, but it's set like a thousand years after the apocalypse. And there's this little seed of monks who are trying to tend to the flame of civilization in the Southwestern or what used to be the Southwestern American desert. And they know that they're never going to be what civilization was before. And they're not even sure what that was. They just know that there were things that came before them that they're, they don't have. And like, they're asking themselves questions of like, what's the point, you know, like, right. I don't know. When she says that, I, I just think, well, that's the summary of the show. It's yeah. also the summary of the first season, specifically Sydney Sweeney's character, Olivia. Like, they could be besties on a different show, like traveling the world together. Mm-hmm. Um, even though Olivia's a bit more jaded and angry. yeah. But that just felt to me like, that's the question like what are we there's nothing new and is the new is is all that all that we have the perversion of the old right which I think is a little bit of what
1: you're talking about yeah definitely the perversion of the old is is a major thing that's on my mind but i love the idea that you brought up this thing for portia because obviously like her arc takes her to a very dangerous place that is very not boring, right? When she gets there and she regrets. Yeah, Yeah. and she regrets the fact that she went that path, right? So it's (laughs) like actually boring is safe and what she ultimately wanted the whole time was safety, not the danger that comes with the unpredictable.
0: Give me the open bar at the (laughs) resort. (laughs) I'm not getting on that boat. (laughs) No, that's a good point,
1: yeah. yeah. It's in The Unpredictable that, like, you live life, you know? Like, that That was, um, oh gosh, what was the, the guy that she was with? Oh, Jack? Yeah, I mean, that was kind of his whole point, right? Is that he's using sort of Tom Hollander's character as a way of just living life, you know? Yeah. Just getting the out bullets. there and getting yeah. away from you know, what he was bound to before. And for her, that just feels risky and dangerous, you know?
0: So there's a, there's another angle I was curious about, and this is not a statement so much as a question or like a conversation starter. We talked about earlier briefly, you know, when my wife said, oh, the show's about lies. And I was like, yeah, everybody's lying to somebody, one way or the other we all lie to each other there's a great film i saw at Sundance this year that's basically the central premise is can a the closest relationship possible survive on a white lie like it's just marriage relationship and asking like what if you found out that your partner wasn't telling you the whole truth about one kind of crucial thing like would that end your whole relationship but you know, in, in this series, there are these, like, series of lies and different situations where characters line each other. But even beyond that, just the recognition that we could never fully know the truth of anything in any given moment. Yeah. And I think there are uh, multiple theologians. I think of somebody like a Marjorie Sue Hockey, for example, who would say, if you could know that, you would forgive that person everything. Like, mm-hmm. to know to, the line, the kind of throwaway line, to know all is to forgive all, like... I think there's a little bit of that here, Mm -hmm. but I think the other question would be like, if that's the case, then this is kind of a very ecclesiastical Ecclesiastes (laughs) show. All is vanity. All none. Then it means nothing. Like it's all just kind of fleeting. Like, well, like I mean, am I I making a wrong conflation there? But
1: it's just like a. I think there's was bouncing around earlier today. I don't know. I think there's there there. You know, like I think the relationships are real. Okay. Like the and I think the reconciliation is real for some of these we, people,
0: like, like especially between
1: father and son maybe. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, between father and son, between between husband and wife, like sometimes understandings can be worked out even though there's a lie there, you know. But also, like what you're saying is 100% right. It's all built on this big the biggest scam of all which is like this sort of sheen of capitalism you know with these sort of you know manufactured resort experiences like the whole the the whole setting of what they're in is the big lie right and you're trying to find the truth in the midst of you know a, a castle built on lies the white lotus you know yeah but i mean you know Murray Bartlett, crapping in a suitcase—that's real. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's <laughs> that says something real about who he is and how he feels about the the way that those people treat him as a service eyes, staff. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. exactly mm-hmm. yeah. You want to talk some industry corner just real quick? Uh, always. Yeah. What are What are you thinking? HBO Max. All right. So <laughs> kind of a new a newish thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so is, I, so here's
0: the is thing. Is it going to be the same thing next week?
1: Yeah. So here's the thing. I know what HBO is. HBO has done a good job of figuring out what their brand is. Their brand is really curated, high end premium television shows. You don't even need to name them. Yeah, exactly. I mean, occasionally they're big budget things like uh, Game of Thrones, obviously, and stuff like that. But sometimes they hit with small things. White Lotus is, I don't know. I, I wouldn't say it's a big thing. It's just kind of, it's people in rooms talking. No, I think
0: you're right. Yeah, it's not high concept, is
1: it? Yeah. So, I mean, but it's a huge hit. And then if you think back to like HBO, like the burgeoning HBO days and like the, you know, the whole Sopranos six feet under, you know, that whole run of stuff, curb your enthusiasm. Like HBO is a very particular brand. And it's like, you know, if you're watching an HBO show, that it's probably a good show because they have that behind them. HBO Max is Warner Brothers and Discovery just vomiting all of their programming into one space. On and top it just of so the happens HBO programming. The, right. It just so happens that the HBO stuff is in the middle of it all.
0: Or, uh, earlier this year, or gosh, last year, when Warner Brothers canceled the Batgirl movie, which had basically been shot, because essentially it didn't fit with their brand, I was like, well, what brand are you talking about? Throw right. it on HBO Max and nobody's going to
1: notice what's your identity i mean if if your stuff is like i mean listen like i i say it as if it's bad stuff like a lot of this is good stuff but it's like why do you you, hate friends why do you hate (laughs) yeah i tell you what friends is fine let me do big bang theory instead right like if you're throwing oh (laughs) just fired If you're throwing Big Bang Theory out there alongside, like, I don't know, Chip and Joanna Gaines or whatever. And then you've and then you've got like uh, Studio Ghibli and White Lotus in the same sentence. It's like, I don't I don't know what you're trying to sell me. I mean, it's like you're you're trying to sell me comfort television on a Saturday afternoon and high end Sunday.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Have you have you watched Velma? On? No, I haven't. Okay, oh. that's the new Scooby Doo thing, right? Yeah, it's like the. I don't like this word, but I'm going to use it because it'll instantly people will know what it is. It's like the woke Scooby Doo. It's like hyper progressive Scooby Doo.
1: Got it. Got
0: it. Which yeah. some of it's very funny. I'm just like, <laughs> but there's a lot. I mean, that may be why a lot of people don't like it. But I found like the first episode to be quite clever. But again, it's that kind of thing, like, of what, who are you? Because yeah. there's a lot about Friends, for example, that does not age very well, you know?
1: Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I don't know that HBO Max is going to, I don't know that there are any real solutions going forward. Because Discovery is going to have a bigger hand in programming. And so it's like, I don't know, does it cheapen the HBO brand if, like, your shows are coming in between episodes of trading spaces yeah i don't, know. I, don't I mean know. <laughs> the whole
0: thing could also change this year i mean there's conversation about the name changing yeah like what do we care about names and brands it's like just find the stuff you like and watch it but right i mean i guess uh... i'm i guess i would i would push back not even push back but just a counter question would be does where a show lives change the way you view it like if white lotus was on netflix would it be white lotus as constituted yeah i'm sure like if it was the exact same thing it would people be like hey this great new netflix show but like Mm -hmm. i agree with everything you're saying and sharing your sentiments but like what is it at the end of the day like we got a show you and i are talking about it if it's on abc or hbo max i mean obviously this wouldn't be on uh, abc (laughs) but you know what i mean you know what i mean
1: Yeah, no, I just think it's a it's a it's it's one of those companies, Warner Brothers, right, who probably saw I mean, here here's the honest story. They saw the numbers that Friends was doing on Netflix and they were like, well, but that's our thing. Like, why is Netflix making money off of our thing? And so they just put all of their stuff up on one space. Well, that's kind of. That's a little bit like the office
0: and Parks and Rec, right? Going with Right. Yeah, know, Peacock or you know whatever platform.
1: Right. But the problem is that when you put everything on one platform, nobody knows what your platform is. <laughs> like nobody understands what you're selling. You know, I don't go to a hardware store to buy pork sandwiches. Like I don't know. You, it's just my weird. friend, you do not live in Mississippi
0: then. <laughs> <laughs> because, no, I'm kidding. Uh but I know no, I know what you're saying. And I've and I, you know, that's the
1: the challenge is navigating all that stuff, man. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll we'll see. I mean, I, I think Max is in for a you know, a big change later this year. So maybe the next time we encounter him, we'll um we'll have new thoughts about him. Uh, Ryan, are you ready to spin the wheel and see what our next show is?
0: I'm never ready, but I'm going to hold on for dear
1: life. So far, the wheel has been in love with you. It's picked three of your shows in a row.
0: I think it's going to pick another one.
1: Uh, actually, it picked one of mine. It, uh, so, OK, so it has chosen my Disney Plus series that I picked, which I had originally picked Star Wars Visions for this but we're able to make trades on this show. So I think I'm going to trade Star Wars Visions for a different show. Okay. Uh so my trade is that my Disney Plus show instead of being Star Wars Visions, I would like for us to talk about Loki next time. I remember absolutely loving the last two episodes
0: of that series.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Maybe three. Maybe the last 3. I we're headed yeah, we're heading into another sort of Marvel season on the horizon. And I want to look back to this because I think this show may have been the last good Marvel thing produced. <laughs> so I want to figure out, like, what did it have going for well, until it? The new until did... the new Guardians comes out. I gotta tell you, I don't have high hopes. I watched that trailer and I was just like, yeah. Okay, so.
0: Loki. I love that. I like that. I want to I want to rewatch it and I want to awesome. uh, hear your
1: hot takes on why it's like the last stand for good Marvel. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Loki will be our next uh, series that we'll be talking about. Ryan, thanks for taking a trip to the White Lotus with me. Are you planning on having dinner here at the hotel or are you going to go out somewhere? It depends
0: on what you're doing, because <laughs> I want to go wherever you're going. <laughs>
1: All right, we will see you next time.